Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees, and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. Our team of JBD coaches support men and women to engage in divorce with more calm, clarity, and confidence through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. On the uh, problem-solving side of the brain, you have more positive emotions like being feeling calm and content and peaceful, which is where we all want to be. But, um, you know, so why are some people not there? Well, we have this bridge in between the hemispheres called the corpus callosum, and I just call it the bridge. And then we have this, <laughs> and it's, you need, there's evidence, you know, that a lot of science to, 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 that supports that you need a lot of flow going across that bridge between the two hemispheres in order to make good decisions. So there's not a bad brain and a good brain. It's just all necessary for our survival and for us to have good relationships. Welcome to the sixth episode of our year-long series on divorcing a narcissist and high-conflict divorce. As we continue the series, our next few episodes explore your role as the spouse of a high-conflict personality. We'll be sharing new perspectives, strategies, and resources to assist you in changing your behaviors that have not brought you closer to the life you want. Determining if and how to leave your high-conflict marriage and how to heal your heart so that you're open and able to receive healthy love. Today, we focus on high conflict divorce, how to remain peaceful, productive, and professional through and beyond your divorce. In order to do this, you'll be invited to notice your perspectives and behaviors that have not worked, and you'll be encouraged to begin changing your way of thinking and interacting with your high conflict spouse. As our series shifts to address all high conflict personalities, we have two amazing women joining us today from Bill Eddy's High Conflict Institute. For those of you who haven't heard that name, Bill Eddy was ahead of his time. As a lawyer, therapist, and mediator, his work has helped guide scores of professionals and individuals on best practices for navigating high conflict disputes. With us today is Megan Hunter, co-founder, CEO, and vice president of High Conflict Institute. Megan is an expert on high conflict disputes, has over 13 years experience as a family law specialist with the Arizona Supreme Court, and is founder and publisher of Unhooked Books and the author of four books herself. And Andrea La Rochelle, who is 
who is High Conflict Institute Canada and director of High Conflict Institute's New Ways brand. Andrea is author, trainer, and speaker specializing in high conflict co-parenting disputes. Her education, coupled with over 15 years experience as a registered family mediator, and high-conflict communications strategist have made Andrea a recognized expert in the field of high-conflict management. I am really excited about today's conversation, ladies. Welcome, Megan and Andrea. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. Yeah, we have so much to cover and you guys have so much great information to share. Thus far in our series, we've spoken to some incredible legal and psychological experts in the field of high conflict divorce. And so today I'm excited to have the two of you with us to help us understand, help my listeners understand what happens in our brains and in the brains of the high conflict personality when confronted with conflict, especially high conflict. And secondly, um, to guide us in communication strategies that can assist us in having, um, dare I say, more constructive conversations. You bet. So how about I tackle the uh, the brain part and then uh, we'll shift over to Andrea for some communication like ear and biff and uh, some of the techniques that have we've developed that seem to work well when dealing with high conflict people who have high conflict personalities. I don't like to call them high conflict personalities because it, it really we don't want to label or um, diagnose anyone. Um, and that doesn't define everything that that person is. So um, that being said, if you look, you know, um, kind of go to, to neuroscience like we've done, um, and Bill Eddy really was the pioneer of this, is applying brain science to um, legal disputes, basically to conflict communication and understanding what's happening in that other person's brain. Like, why are they behaving so badly? Why are they throwing a fit? Why are they manipulating? You know, what is driving them to do this? In in the family courts, you know, we called it uh, people that are back in court all the time, frequent filers, and they're there all the time. They never seem to get satisfied. Um, they never can reach resolution. And we just didn't understand them. And I kind of made it my mission while I was at the um, Arizona Supreme Court to, I, I couldn't figure out why so many thousands of smart people in the world were working on this problem and we still couldn't understand it. And I, I came across an article written by this guy I'd never heard of named Bill Eddy. And in that article, he talked about the cluster B, five of the cluster B personality types that seem to drive these high conflict disputes. And he discovered that by seeing in his, uh, he was a therapist first, and then he became a, a lawyer. And in his family court cases, he noticed the behavior patterns of these cases that just seemed impossible to settle. They were similar to the behavior patterns of some of his clients back when he was a therapist, um, like in psychiatric clinics and things. And uh, he really started to put the pieces together and develop this high conflict personality theory. And in that, um, he, he discovered that uh, you know, the, um, the behavior patterns, it wasn't that everyone that has a cluster B personality disorder or, um, whether it's diagnosed or undiagnosed, they didn't, they aren't all high conflict, right? But there's this subset that are, and they have four commonalities. Number one, 
is all or nothing thinking. It's very narrow, narrowly focused on all or nothing. I'm out of here. You're out of here. I'm done. You're done. You're all good. He's all bad. Just that very divided um, way of thinking. So that's number one. Number two is unmanaged emotions. Just very poor emotion control. And um, third is extreme behaviors. There's just outside the norm of, of regular behaviors. And then fourth is blame. And this is really the telltale is it's always someone else's fault and I'm always the victim. <laughs> so those four characteristics are what we define the high conflict personality, right? So what yeah. works for them or what works for everyone else in family court, you know, there, there are difficult cases, there are difficult, you know, uh, people, and especially when we're in a divorce, we're, we're not, the most pleasant to be around. And we can all engage in those four characteristics that I mentioned. However, this high person with a high conflict personality repeats those four characteristics over and over because that is their operating system. So that's why what we do with everyone else doesn't work with this high conflict personality type of individual. So what's going on in the brain? What's happening is we have, you know, a reactionary brain and a problem-solving logical brain. And all of us have access to both hemispheres. But when it comes to relationships, this person with a high-conflict personality, they seem to get stuck in the reactionary brain a lot and have a hard time accessing the logical problem-solving type. And that's why it doesn't work very well. So why does that happen? So we've got the reactionary and in that reactionary side of the brain, we have a lot of negative emotions like hurt, anger, and fear. On the uh, problem-solving side of the brain, you have more positive emotions like being feeling calm and content and peaceful, which is where we all want to be. But, um, you know, so why are some people not there? Well, we have this bridge in between the hemispheres called the corpus callosum. And I just call it the bridge. And then we have this, <laughs> and it's, you need, there's evidence, you know, that a lot of science to, 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 that supports that you need a lot of flow going across that bridge between the two hemispheres in order to make good decisions. So there's not a bad brain and a good brain. It's just all necessary for our survival and for us to have good relationships. Now enter who I call Miggy, M-I-G-G-Y. Um, it's actually the amygdala, but people have such a hard time pronouncing it. So I just call him Miggy and it can be a boy or a girl. I don't care. Um, but so Miggy's job is to be like a, a threat detector, like looking around and listening on our behalf when we don't even know he's working on our behalf. And he's listening to tone of voice and looking at facial expressions. And when he detects a threat, you know, this is your fight or flight center. When he detects a threat, he's going to shut down the bridge because that's his job. So he's over there in the reactionary part of the brain. And he says, oh, need to shut the bridge down to logic problem solving so I can defend myself. Well, the problem is with it seems with sort of this high conflict individual that Miggy is kind of hypersensitive and overreacts and gives fake news to the, to the bridge, shuts down the bridge when it shouldn't be shut down. So you and I keep talking to that person. Let's say you have a high conflict spouse um, and we keep talking to them with logic and explain explanations and uh, they don't have any access right at that moment to logic. 
And they're just stuck over in that reactionary brain where all those negative emotions are. And so we have to spend more time working on that, calming that side of the brain down, the reactionary part of the human before you can get to logic and explanations. So that's kind of the quick breakdown, the uh, breakdown of the brain. And oh, and then yeah. just the one piece that I, I miss, and I'm sorry, I'm babbling, but the what happens then in us is that our amygdala, Mr. Miggy, is also doing it, his job, looking for threats. And so when that other person gets riled up, right, the voice escalates, the anger, angry face, the words that are coming out, body language, our amygdala says, ooh, there's a danger, shut down the bridge. So then you're stuck in your own negative and, you know, emotions and reactionary brain. And so that's where the, the back and forth reaction can really get going. Going through a divorce is challenging. It involves many issues, legal, financial, emotional, and social, and requires the guidance of a seasoned legal team to achieve optimal outcomes. That's the promise of Laufer, Delena, Jensen, Bradley, and Doran. Choosing the right family lawyer could be the most important decision you make in the divorce process. There's life after divorce, and Laufer's team helps you to get there. Providing options to mediate, arbitrate, collaborate, or litigate, the firm handles issues such as alimony, custody, child support, and equitable distribution. Each case is staffed with both a male and female attorney as their clients benefit from having both gender perspectives on their side, and that distinguishes their firm. You can get your free consultation today by calling 973-285-1444 and mention that you heard about them on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I love what the way Megan describes this. Um, and to add to it, to just give an example to your listeners who may be in a high conflict divorce or marriage or relationship, for those of us who don't have these high conflict tendencies, our comfort zone is when we're not in conflict. That's when our heartbeat is calm, we're thinking rationally. For a high conflict person, they thrive in the conflict. That is when they're in their comfort zone, that is when they're calmest. Ironically, that's not what's coming out of their mouth, but that's how their body's reacting. They are not in their comfort zone when everything is calm. So they're always kind of scanning, looking for the, the next fire, the next conflict, the next drama piece. So, so both the thing that both of you said is, I mean, that's really fascinating. Um, and Andrea, I, I, that that piece that you just said, I, I, it makes sense, and I just, I never thought about it that way. I, I um, was in a high conflict marriage for fourteen years, and um, Megan, what I hear you saying is that. Um, and, and we talk to our clients about this. It's like the minute you're triggered and and you're in your emotional reactiveness, it's almost like um, this this steel wall comes down and you can't access your logical brain. Your to your metaphor, it's like the the bridge breaks, right? And so for that 
period of time, you can't access your logical brain and you're in all of this emotion. And we coach our clients around that to help them realize that once they're triggered, trying to engage logically, they can't access theirs. And to your point, your high conflict spouse, um, it's so interesting. We're constantly trying to come at them with logic. And yet, because they're so upset or angry or fearful or whatever they are, it's almost like they're deaf, which is actually what I used to experience, is that my spouse seemed deaf to my logical words. Yeah, it's like Groundhog Day over and over again because you just keep repeating the same failed strategies and because they we just don't know what to do differently. And we also don't understand the power of Miggy. <laughs> Miggy is very, very powerful and we're human beings and the reaction is so is microseconds. It's a, a six tenths of a second it, it takes for this uh, uh, for Miggy to go into action and shut down that bridge and your heart rate goes up and you basically go into the um, uh, vend- uh, dorsal vagal state where you're, you know, on high alert, your hearing changes, your vision changes, your, you know, the cortisol is flowing through your, your body. Now you're hooked, right? And you don't even know why, or they're hooked and you don't know why. And things have changed, but it's unconscious it's rapid fire and um that's why we end up you know getting into big fights with people or you know we just can't seem to stop repeating the same strategy and the same fight and what's and what's fascinating is like my desire is to move into calm as quickly as possible so i can access my rational mind so that i can you know so that i can problem solve. But Andrea, I think what you're saying is, well, while that's my desire to get into calm, you're saying that these high conflict personalities, that that that's like them walking into the discomfort. Am I hearing that? Yes. So they don't want you there. They want you completely out of control because then that is how they feel calm. When everything's and going crazy, they're so. not going to feel so. They're so me trying to get a high conflict personality um, into rational. It's like they're they're calmer. Am I hearing you say they're calmer in the chaos? So yes, traditionally they are calmer in the chaos. Excellent way of wording that. There is a way to get them back into their logical brain, but not the way we traditionally manage conflict. Um, it's like a whole different subset of conflict. These high conflict people. And so we have so, to just do it a bit differently. Yeah. And if you're listening and like me, you've spent years, if not decades, banging your head against a brick wall, not understanding why you can't engage with this person the way you engage with other people. I think that there's a real key here. And so it's hard for the high conflict personality to they're more comfortable in the chaos. And now how do we so what is that next step then Megan that gets you um unhooked and and uh and and gets the high conflict personality back to their logical mind well you know the the first piece I think is self-awareness because we just don't know we know this person acts 
really badly <laughs> and has bad behaviors and may, we might be afraid of them or we might get really engaged and in, in, into the conflict and fighting with them. So it's, it's about being self-aware. And if you're in a relationship with someone like this, you know, whether you're still in the same household with them or in different households, but you're co-parenting, you know, you have to practice daily to, to remind yourself that you have to be aware that you the things have, I have to do things differently with this person than I do with everyone else or most other people. So I think just keeping self-aware is number one. Number two is changing, really recognizing maybe when you're hooked, when your breathing rate changes, you know, you feel that tension in your body, your heart rate goes up. You just want to run away or you want to run toward the fight one or the other. So that's that recognition of I'm, I have to be self-aware. I have to do something different here. And you, you just don't get to live life as easily, right, as as you might have otherwise <laughs> with someone else. You have to do things differently here, and it, it does require more self-awareness and discipline. Okay, so then it's, it's, okay, I'm hooked. Now what do I do? What strategy can I put in place to get unhooked when I feel that way? So you know, have a little note card, have an app on your phone, whatever your list is that will help you get unhooked. That mean, may mean, you know, taking a break, doing some deep breathing, doing some meditation, um, you know, what, taking a walk, playing with the dogs, whatever that is, you have to take those steps to unhook before you react. of divorce begins with quieting your mind and getting clear on what you want and how to get it. That's why we created the Divorce Survival Kit. It's an easy to digest guide with five essential tips that help transform your suffering into valuable insights and your confusion into effective action. So go to DivorceRecoveryLifeline.com and grab your Divorce Survival Kit today. to jump in and say for those of you who tend to just ruminate about what he or she said and did it's the opposite of what Megan is suggesting like ruminating is keeping you in that triggered um, place where you don't have access to your logical mind as opposed to the distancing that Megan's talking about so keep that in mind and yeah I, I like go ahead go Megan, ahead sorry. Well, I, I like I was gonna say I like that word ruminate and I, I like to also say perseverate because with HCPs we tend to perseverate over and over about what our response is going to be and what are we going to do and so we don't need to get stuck in a loop, but we do need to be prepared, right? So you're spot on when you're ruminating, you know, it's it's you're you're not you're not really problem solving. Right. And I think you guys have an approach that like has an acronym and is easy for people to remember. Is that correct? Yeah, Andrea. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm just going to jump in first to comment on what you two had just been talking about. Um, when people come and see me, they often say, Andrea, am I the high conflict? Just tell me if I am. I will change. Tell me what to do. 
And I say, well, you had the insight to ask me if you were high conflict. So that tells me you are not the high conflict, but you may be communicating in a fashion that is contributing to the conflict and that you can change. So then we move into what strategy can they use? And Bill created something called the BIF acronym. BIF stands for brief, informative, friendly, and firm. So when you're communicating by email, which is the preferred means of communication when communicating with somebody with high conflict tendencies. That is how you want to structure your emails. High conflicts tend to send those long diatribes uh, going on and on about how you're a horrible person and your mom was a horrible person and your dog bit them or her. All the mean things they can possibly think to say about you and your character that have nothing to do with the children who you should be communicating about and only the children or the schedule. So by ignoring all of the digs and pulling out anything that needs to be responded to, using the BIF structure to respond to those key points. And BIF stands for? Brief, informative, friendly, and firm. So if the more you write, so I like to add in a few extras. I always encourage people not to have any emotional words in their emails because high conflicts tend to latch on to that emotional word and then go off to the races talking about something completely different than what you intended that email to be about. So no emotional words. Don't offer them any insight. They don't have that. That's one of the um, telltale signs that somebody may have some high conflict tendencies. They lack the ability to self-reflect. So when you try to give them insight, their Miggy, as Megan so beautifully called it, um, gets defensive, shuts down that bridge, and then you're off to a fight about, who do you think you are giving me insight? And don't offer an opinion. They don't want your opinion, um, as much as they probably need your opinion, because you have great insight into your own children, don't offer them an opinion. Because what you're trying to send them in your communication is something with the best likely chance that it will be heard. And if you include any of those three things, it'll get lost, lost in translation. So if you keep it brief, the likelihood that you'll include any of those three things um, is that much better or less better. So, so no matter, and this is such a key point, I, I, I have the same conversation with multiple clients and they want to defend every point of the dissertation yeah. that's been sent to them, the dissertation on what a bad person they are. And, yeah. you know, every one of those is a rabbit hole. And what I'm hearing yeah. you say is comb through that email, see what is important to respond to about your child, ignore everything else, no matter how much you want to defend yourself or argue a point, just let it go and focus on the, the, the topic at hand, your child or the schedule or what have you. And then yes. I'm hearing brief, um, don't be, don't be like them. Don't go on, just, you know, less is more, right? Brief less is more. Yes. And then informative. Can you just touch on what, what does that mean? Um, well, are you providing information that is key to the children that needs to be shared? Mm. Right. So only the information that's needed. Yes. And you touched on something, Karen, that I thought was important. Every People like to respond to the attacks. And I, it's an 
the book that Megan and I co-wrote together, uh, the High Conflict Co-Parenting Survival Guide, there is a piece in there about attack-defend behavior. If you mm. defend yourself to every attack, it doesn't matter what you say in your defense. You're not going to change the other parent's mind about you or the how they feel about the topic. So don't even bother engaging because all that will do is fuel them to keep going. And suddenly they're in their comfort zone attacking and you're defending and you're getting riled up and they're getting calmer and you're getting less calm. I love I love the concept that chaos is their comfort zone. Like I just like I love that snippet. Chaos is their comfort zone. I, I always say to my clients, when you start responding to all of those attacks, you're you're pouring gasoline on a very small fire and creating a bonfire and you're going to get burned and they're going to be happy. Um, and as soon as that and, bonfire and so, gets close to being resolved, they don't like that. They create a new bonfire somewhere else on a completely different topic. And they just keep like throwing little bonfires. And, and, and what, what I found is people will ruminate and perseverate over these emails and text messages that they receive from this high conflict person. Right. Um, weeks, days, hours, nights, losing sleep. Meanwhile, that person who was just acting in their comfort zone, which also Andrea, I'd love it. Um, they, They've they they got it out. They just needed to get it out right now because they have very limited impulse control, and that is what they do. They they blame. They all or nothing. They blah, blah, blah. this. I call it verbal or texting and typing vomit. It just comes out. Now it's gone from them, but it's stuck on you if you let it be stuck on you, and then ruminating, perseverating about what how you're going to respond to that. But if you stick to that BIF structure, brief, informative, friendly, and firm. Um, then you don't spend those countless hours wasting time on it. The other person's already forgotten. It's out there. Yeah. They got it out. Now you're stuck with it unless you, yeah. if you let it be stuck. Yeah. And I think that the other piece of it is as, as a single parent, you need, and a single parent with a high conflict um, co-parent, you need every ounce of energy yes. you can muster. And so when you choose, and I'm saying that word purposely, when you even unconsciously choose to hemorrhage all of your energy into this space that's going to be utterly unproductive and solve nothing, that's and then and then you're 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 just spent. That's your work. That's the work that you have to do to to um, have the discipline to let it go, not need to defend yourself so that you are holding on to that energy for your children and yourself, which is where you need it the most. It's this really interesting place where the co-parent who's trying to manage the high conflict person gets to they while they're ruminating. Any other word that I can't pronounce <laughs> on the email that they think they have to respond to. They think if they get it perfect, that maybe the conflict will end because the high conflict person has tried to put them on this. They're such a terrible parent and perfectionism is expected. And then maybe if they can get to that perfect place, the conflict will stop. So they keep trying to have the perfect email or um, the perfect yep. haircut or the perfect outfit going for the transition day. But a perfect doesn't exist for any of us and it doesn't matter what you do even if you do exactly as they say the next day they'll change what it is they want like you cannot beat them 
And I think that that's I had a uh, Ross Rosenberg on and he was talking about getting caught in the delusion. Right. I mean, clearly. And if you've been in a marriage or you're in a divorce, clearly there's nothing you're doing. That's you're not going to change the person. You have no you have no power over changing somebody else. Um, and and yeah, so you get caught in that delusion. Um so I want to go back to Biff for a second. So so we have brief, which makes a lot of sense, informative, inform what you need to inform specifically about that topic and nothing else. Friendly, um, another person had said they replaced friendly with neutral. You, you don't want to be snarky. You don't want to have a tone of voice or a tone of face or an attitude. You just want to be friendly. And then I think firm is worthy of discussing because I have a lot of clients who they've been so crushed by the high conflict personality interaction that um, that their communication can sound something like, well, you know, I thought maybe we might want to try to as opposed to just being direct and firm. Can you speak to that? And a lot of Megan, is it all right no, if you, I jump in? Yeah, go. <laughs> I find a lot of people struggle who are in these high conflict co-parenting relationships struggle with firm because they feel like they're being mean or they might trigger mm. the other person. So they almost put like this fluffy approach to it, which doesn't work. So please respond by such and such date or I will need to move forward with blah, blah, blah. Firm. Not mean, not sarcastic, not throwing a dig, firm. But the person who's been the non-high conflict in this relationship really struggles with that. It's almost like a boundary because uh, how are they going to react? Oh, I'm being mean. I don't want to be mean. And, and, and maybe there is mean. another perspective and maybe I'm not completely right. And, and right. Yeah. And all of yeah. that stuff. And what if? And what been, if? Yeah. Exactly. And so for those of you listening who fall into that category, it's going to be uncomfortable, yeah. brief, informative, friendly and firm. It's going to be uncomfortable. These are the experts telling you that this is the best way to move forward with every email um, that you're engaged with. Karen, um, I often tell clients that it's like learning a new language, trying to communicate with somebody who's high conflict. Because it it doesn't just roll off our tongues. We are nice, kind people who ended up in these relationships. And now we're going against our comfort zone by being firm, by being brief. Because we think, well, if we can just explore it from both sides, we can figure this out, which is what rational people can do in conflict. But you're not working with rational. You're working with irrational. Yeah. And I love, I just, I wrote it in big letters on my note here. Chaos is their comfort zone. <laughs> and, and, and that's just like, that is so brilliant because I, I'm always trying to find those snippets. I've been, I've been, I've been sharing Biff for years. I just want the first time I found that I was like, oh my God, that's just so brilliant and so easy for people to remember and, and remembering that, that chaos is their comfort zone, that, the more you engage, the more you're pouring gasoline on that fire and that you have to learn. You need to stop looking at them, the high conflict personality, and start looking at 
your thoughts and your behaviors and, and practicing new ways of being so that you can free yourself from this and emerge healthy. And I think someplace I read um, that you guys wrote, it's like, it's not for forever. I, I know it seems that way. I'm, I'm 14 years post-divorce. It was a long, it was, it was a long path, but, but it doesn't last forever. And at some point your children grow up and, um, and you're not in that, even in that, that, kind of regular co-parenting. And if you've grown through all of this, you emerge so much healthier and more whole. I often say to parents, at some point, your children are going to be 25 and they're going to reflect on their childhood. And what do you want them to reflect? How do they want, how do you want them to remember how you behaved? That you were stressed trying to figure out how to respond to an email or were you engaged with them, regardless of what was going on? between the co-parenting relationship. And, and if you want to get even more logical about it, it's, you have to, if you can remind yourself, and this might be one of those things you put on your daily list if you have daily interaction, is the only one of us has the ability to adapt and it isn't them. Mm-hmm. So if I don't adapt, then this is just going to go wonky every time. So I have to do it differently, no matter how much I want to engage, no matter how fed up, how sick of it I am. I'm the only one that has the ability to adapt. This is someone who has an operating system that I can't, you you know, wave a magic wand and make them change. They are not a phone, you know, they are not, I'm not a computer programmer. (laughs) I cannot fix it. So I have to adapt and find the strategy that works. And I think that the other really brilliant piece of this is your children have to spend the rest of their lives in relationship with the same high conflict personality. And the quicker you learn and can then teach them better ways of interacting and communicating, you're you're paying it forward to your next generation. I mean, it's just brilliant to be able to do that. Definitely. So let's let's talk about email is, you know, you, you could step away from the email, you can calm yourself down, you can like you can you can get Miggy working again. What happens when you're face to face? Like, how do you handle that? That's the most fun of all. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, we use a strategy that, uh, again, Bill put together called EAR, um, and it's responding to people with empathy, attention, and respect. And um, I'll explain it briefly and then hand it over to Andrea, because she's really used this so much in in working with clients and, and helping parents all over. But empathy... Uh, This this high conflict brain is craving a few things. And one thing is empathy. One is attention and one is respect. (laughs) And uh, we don't know which one on any given day, but it seems to be the combination of those things that they're craving. And so that is what calms that, um, you know, that Miggy and that that reactive brain down is giving them what giving that brain what it needs. So when that brain is upset and it's in that comfort chaos zone, right? If you give it um, something negative, like uh, an explanation or, uh, you know, a diss or anything like that, it starts 
it keeps the brain on fire. So instead, you need to give that brain what it needs, which is empathy, attention, and respect. And it's like giving someone a water hose and just, you know, or, you know, taking a water hose and, and putting water out or a fire out with the water. And that opens up that bridge again. So it's, it's kind of a, um, you know, a magical thing. And what's always catches me off guard is how quickly it can work. And I'm usually the one that's the stumbling block to making it work because maybe I'm being stubborn and I just am tired of being the one that has to do this, you know, but it, it's, if you sprinkle the word respect in, in something you say to someone. So, uh, so empathy, attention, respect statement might be something like, Oh, I, I, I kind of, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I, I get that. And, um, you know, I can respect that list of ideas you put together, whatever, you know, I'm going to pay attention to this. Andrea, I'm sure has much better examples, but those, that's just the basic example. And that's what puts the fire out. I loved what you just touched on, Megan. I respect what you're saying. You don't have to respect what they're saying. <laughs> right. They, they, yeah. We have found if you add that word of respect, I respect what you're saying. They hear that word respect and it's like, okay. I don't have to be the high conflict person. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be defensive. They can, it chills them out just a little bit. That's so interesting. You know, a lot of times I'll say to my clients, just tell them I hear you. Um, But that, that word respect actually is key, isn't it? Yeah. And it it probably doesn't sound very good. And Megan, you're going to regret inviting me to come do this. (laughs) But just because you say it doesn't mean it's true. Oh, that's exactly right. You can use some of service to calm the situation. It's called management. It's not manipulation. It's just management. If you want to, if you want to have a calm relationship, a productive relationship, you have to to use what, what strategies work and that's what works. And it works. And it, as Megan said earlier, it works quickly. They hear that word and they just kind of chill. That is like brilliant. And, and that, I mean, that's, that's worth the price of admission right there. Um, so empathy, attention, respect, when you use the word respect, if you can throw the word respect into your emails, if you can use it when tensions arising, um, it doesn't mean you respect them. It doesn't mean you agree with them. It doesn't mean you're going to abide by what they want. It's a strategy, it's a strategy that these women are telling us is like a fire hose putting a fire out. Um, if you're listening, I'm going to try it. If you're listening, try it. <laughs> and then um, let us know how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. There's the, the, and most of your listeners, I'm sure, have statements that they've used that they know work well. So just keep using those, use them on steroids and just find new, new ways to use them too. Like a a phrase that seems to work really well with people is tell me more. It's so simple. It's three words and it, it, it can solve, you know, avoid so many conflicts, Um, but just things like that. And then you also want to get a little more nuanced um, and, 
pay attention to your, if, you know, if you're in person and you're talking to someone and you're using empathy, attention and respect, you have to pay attention to your facial expression and your tone of voice as well. Because tone of voice that little Mr. Miggy is very sensitive to tone of voice in some people, a lot of high conflict people. And so if, if you're matching, if your voice is escalating and you're matching tone for tone or you're sounding annoyed or exasperated or condescending, right, it, it, can backfire a little bit. So you want to just keep a calm tone of voice. Don't get loud. Um, just don't sound don't exasperated. Cross <laughs> don't cross your arms. Don't smack your forehead. <laughs> uh, I was just, just going to say this tone of face too. That can tone be, of face. Yeah. I like that. That's <laughs> so true. So it's the rolling eyes and smacking the forehead that seem to be biggies. And then another thing is keeping your mouth shut sometimes, right? <laughs> just, just, just shut up. And um, sometimes just silence is empathy, attention, and respect. Sometimes just nodding your head or giving someone some space. It, it really depends on the situation. But, um, uh, you know, if you're tempted to just mouth off or, you know, your tone is going to be kind of less than ideal, then just, just keep your mouth shut. That's okay. Avoid interrupting. Interrupting doesn't usually go very well because they feel disrespected. So um, it, it seems like a lot, but it's really not. It's it's very simple. And the more you practice this, the better you get at it. Your life becomes so much calmer and you model it to your children and they learn from you how to manage this. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. I love the less is more. Um, bite your tongue, say less. Uh, when... when uh, Fairly early on in my divorce, the child support never came. It was um, it was um, my monthly extortion check, I believe, was the term he would use with me. And um, at one point, for some reason, I just started thanking him for whatever he could give me. And I was so fascinated. And I was like, any anything that you could give would would be so helpful. And I really appreciate it. And I know you're trying your best. Now, I don't know that I believed any of those things. But the response that I got was this really sweet man saying, no, 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 thank you for your patience. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best. And I was like, holy cow. And it just really shifted everything. Now, I'm not going to say we had, we had a sweet relationship all the time, but I had a money trigger. So I was anxious around money and, and I was blaming him. And when I decided, let me own my money trigger and let me come at this a different way because I actually do appreciate anything I can get regardless of what I should get. And it changed the entire dynamic around the conversation. That's cool. Uh, it's, it's really powerful. The, yeah. the, like you said, it's a shift and, and you learn from that so much. And so you didn't try to change them. You changed yourself and your mindset. Exactly. And and in that particular example, um, I owned my trigger. It was probably the thing we fought over the most. And so when I was able to step back and say, I have some money issues, I have some money fears. And, you know, why am I blaming him for those? Those are mine. And yeah, the check should come. And, and so, yeah, so if you're struggling and if especially if you're listening and you have certain dances that you do over and over again around a particular topic, pick one and try some of these strategies and, uh, 
and and see what shifts and and keep what works and let go of what doesn't. Um, yeah. You you also talk uh, if if we can before we wrap up. You also talk about uh, avoiding the three A's. Can you share a little bit about that? Go, Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I'm talkative, so I'm, I want you to talk. <laughs> I'm going to let you t- I'm really good when you start, and then I can jump in and cut you off. <laughs> Sorry about that. Just don't smack your forehead. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to start with the three A's, then I can jump in after. Okay, so the three A's, we, these are, so this goes to the BIF, right? So the BIF is what you use in writing when you're responding to someone um, in uh, so brief, informative, friendly, and firm. So then we want to, those are the things you want to do with your email, your written response, but you want to avoid three things and that's advice, admonishments, and apologies. So advice they're not going to take your advice. Think about the this, this person you've been dealing with for a long time and think if that's ever worked for you in the past when giving them advice. So don't do it. Um, uh, avoid admonishments. You know, well, don't you see how you're screwing up our kids? Uh, don't you see how your actions in this situation are really screwy? It, it, it just, they don't take advice. It doesn't work well with their operating system and the way their brain works. So you just avoid that. And then apologies. This is always a little bit of a dicey one because um, people think that, I mean, it's just natural for us to apologize. So, and I'll say this because... While we've been doing this podcast interview with you, Andrea sent me a WhatsApp and said, sorry for um, interrupting you so much. He's also Canadian. That's right. But that's kind of our tendency. A lot of a lot of people is to say sorry a lot. And the thing with when you're dealing with someone that's got the high conflict personality is that all that does for them is it validates that they're, they are right and you are wrong, right? So we're, we're typically saying sorry out of some, just because we're polite, we're nice, we whatever. Um, we're intimidated, we're anxious, and so we just pop it out. Um, but with them, you're validating that they're really screwy pattern of behavior is is okay so you want to pull those you write your email then you biff it is it brief is it informative is it friendly is it firm right so you reduce it down and when we're talking brief we're talking two to three sentences max okay Mm -hmm. and then um you you do the a's test am i giving advice anywhere okay take the advice out am i giving any admonishments take those out Am I, have I apologized? Take that up. Now, if you, you know, ran over the person's cat and killed it or something, then, you know, apologize. If you've done something wrong, apologize. Otherwise, don't do it. Go, Andrea. (laughs) That is so great. That's such great advice. And he said, simply, I don't think I can add to it. It was perfect. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, so that's so that's that's great. We're keeping it brief, and I love that after you look at the brief, informative, firm, and friendly, you actually then um, edit out advice, admonishments, and apologies. Um, so now you really should have a two to three sentence email because because you've really kept it nice and tight. Yeah, and listen, love- <laughs> oh, we're good at this. Um, what I when I have 
we, we we like to joke at our you know within high conflict institute about biffing ourselves and biffing each other and you don't like to get biffed <laughs> by anyone in the team right <laughs> but uh, there have been instances where i have biffed my written response and I know I needed to biff it one more time, but I was a little bit hooked and I made the conscious decision not to biff it before I sent it. And guess what? It exploded. It caused a problem, <laughs> right? So um, you have to, if you're having a hard time biffing yourself, you know it, you know when it's going to trigger that person. So have your, your friend biff it or your mom or whoever, have someone else continue to biff it because they're not going to be emotionally hooked like you are and they can pull out the advice, admonishments and apologies. Love that. Love that. And if you're struggling to so, keep it brief to that two or three sentences, I usually say four sentences or less, it's because you're trying to throw in one of those A's. Yeah, I have one client. She needs to explain everything. And I'm like, don't. Don't explain anything. Just just say it. Just yep. not the reasoning yep. by, not the whole, you know, mental thought process for the 15 yeah. minutes. Just just say it. So it's um, funny. I call those people the overshares who figure out what it is they're actually thinking. So <laughs> they have to, if they just had a therapist, they could talk it all through for an hour. Then they could get to the biff. Right. They don't have right. that. So it's just they're like externally processing to yes. their high conflict <laughs> yep. personality and creating a bonfire. Yes. Um, <laughs> any final tips you'd like to share with our listeners? This has been so helpful and insightful. Well, I would say don't um, spend a lot of time stewing over this other person. I, I think a lot of it is accepting that this is how they are. Don't beat yourself up for choosing this person to be the parent of your children, the other parent, right? It is what it is. And you can't look back and live in the past because that's what they do. They're stuck in the past. You have to focus on problem solving about the future. So when they get stuck in the past, if you can help them shift to the future too, um, you know, I think that's, that's kind of golden. Um, I talked uh, to so many parents. Sorry, go ahead, Megan. No, you don't, I was done. <laughs> I talked to so many parents who think that they have completely screwed up their children because they had children with the, the high conflict co-parent. And what I always say to them is, your children chose you to. This is their path. And your job isn't to make their childhood perfect. Your job is to be the shade for them because they're going to go into the world. Bad things are going to happen. They're going to come back to you and you're just going to be the shade. Nice. And when they feel strong enough, they're going to go back out into the universe, maybe go a little bit further. And then something's going to happen and they're going to come running back and you're the shade. You're that yeah. safe place for them to go. So I would yeah. tell that to a little snippet. The other piece would be um, what I have found in this practice is those who tend to be fixers end up in these relationships with high conflict, people who have high conflict tendencies. You can't fix this. You can drive yourself into the ground trying. You still will not fix this. And once you let go and release and surrender that need and start focusing on what you can do, your whole world um, is going to be difficult until you do that. And once you do it, it's going to start to get better. 
And and you know the next our next few shows are going to be touching on these topics as well. And the truth is, it's much easier to look at someone else across the street and try and keep their side of the street clean. And that's easy. And what's much harder is looking in the mirror and saying, what do I bring to the table? And what are my shortcomings? And what are my insecurities? And what are the things that I need to work on so that I can be a better partner, a better parent, um, a better overall person? And to be able to have that um, internal dialogue without a bat, right? Like with kindness and compassion and gentleness toward yourself. And that that's the healing um, process that's going to allow you to emerge healthier and and to be a beacon for your children um, who are going to need you to be to be strong and firm and brief and capable of interacting. So this is this is so great. If you've if you've been listening in and you've found a lot of value in um, in today's conversation, there's a couple of uh, ways that you can connect with Megan and Andrea. Uh, the first is they've just launched. Uh, a new website uh, for people like you, not the professionals, the individuals who are engaged in these high conflict relationships. It's called conflictplaybook.com. Now, this is a site that like brand new, hot off the presses, just got launched. And so it's going to be growing. There's going to be much more. If you go there today, there's going to be more next week and next month. Mm -hmm. It's going to include groups of parents involved in high conflict co-parenting relationships and other things. So conflictplaybook.com, check it out. You definitely want to go there and see what they have to offer. And then the other thing is their book, their co-parenting book. It's called The High Conflict Co-Parenting Survival Guide. And I love the tagline, reclaim your life one week at a time. So for all of you who are like, that sounds like, you know, fresh water in, in, a, in, in a desert, <laughs> The High Conflict Co-Parenting Survival Guide, reclaim your life one week at a time. You can get it at Amazon um, and other other places you can you can google that online um and uh i want to thank the two of you so much for for your wisdom and your advice this has been like a really really terrific uh dialogue and information that you shared thank you karen yeah, definitely our pleasure. And um, it was a lot of fun, number one. And it's just such a pleasure to talk to someone who is, we're just in the same tribe. You know, <laughs> you really, um, we, yeah. we speak the same language and have the same understanding. So thank you for the work that you do. Yeah, no, it's been great. Um, for, for those listening in, before you leave, take a minute and review our Journey Beyond Divorce podcast on iTunes. And what you'll be doing is paying it forward and helping someone else who's searching for valuable content online to find our content. And don't forget to subscribe to our Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, because that way you'll be notified um, as each new episode goes live. And we have 18 more coming just on this high conflict divorce. So we'll be sharing everything you need and facing that. And our next episode 
um, we're going to continue to focus on you, the spouse um, of the high conflict personality and the steps you can take to leave, to heal and to navigate your divorce and your co-parenting post-divorce with greater ease. And you're welcome to join our Journey Beyond Divorce community on Facebook, where you can participate. We just launched a free virtual divorce support group, especially given the times. And uh, anytime you visit, you'll receive guidance and encouragement from our team of coaches, as well as other members. And of course, if you hang out on YouTube, Instagram, or Twitter, you'll find us there as well. Or you can go to jbddivorcesupport.com, which is our website. So thank you so much for listening. Tune back in in two weeks for our next show. And ladies, thank you very much. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.